Welcome back to The Curious Clinicians, a medical podcast that asks why. I'm Tony Brew, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Hannah Abrams. Hey, Hannah. Hey. And Avi Cooper. Hey, Avi. Good to see you both. Um, so tonight, or today, whatever it is that you're listening, uh, we're going to investigate the phenomenon of melanosis coli, including why it happens and what it means. Um, Hannah, I feel like for this one, because some of the audience may not have even have heard of this, much less seen it, it might be helpful just to start with a description. Like, what is melanosis coli? Yeah, absolutely. So melanosis coli is a benign finding, usually on colonoscopy, in which dark pigmentation of the mucosal lining of the colon is seen. Um, So on colonoscopy, there will be dark pigmentation throughout the colon. And it's typically associated with long-term use of laxatives. This is something that I had heard about in medical school and on standardized tests, but I had never actually seen in clinical practice. Tony, Avi, have you guys seen it on colonoscopy reports or in pictures? I've seen it in morning report a few times, um, but never personally seen it. I'll say it is pretty profound. Like it, the, it's not a subtle darkness of the colon. It is, it is dark. At least in the morning reports I've seen. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've kind of heard gastroenterologists talk about it, and like I, I agree with Tony. You see the picture, and it's like that is really scary. And the gastroenterologists are like, that's really, it's no big deal. It's just melanosis coli. <laughs> I'm, I'm still waiting for the report that's going to say it. I feel like we give so much senna in the hospital. But anyway. Yeah. Well, so it, it seems like, you know, this is a phenomenon that I guess we've all kind of learned about, maybe not seen much of ourselves, but it's definitely out there. But when was it first described? Okay, so we'll start, as always, with some history, which is that this concept first started in the medical literature around 1830. The French anatomist Jean Crevalier, who is also the person who described the CNS lesions of multiple sclerosis, wrote about a contemporary, Gabriel Andral. And at the time he wrote, M. Andral has found an individual affected with chronic diarrhea, the inner surface of the large intestine as black as Chinese ink, from the ileocecal valve right down to the rectum. The color resided in the internal membrane, which showed no other alterations beyond a remarkable development of its follicles. So that phenomenon that he described, this intense blackness of the colon, was finally dubbed melanosis coli in 1858 by none other than Virchow. Like what? Yeah. What did he, Virchow not do? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, this is clearly a very profound and dramatic uh, version. And the ones I've seen are really profound. But is that typical? Like, are all the episodes of melanosis coli this dramatic? Just turns out in the morning report cases. It seems like from the case series that I've seen, there's a pretty wide spectrum of findings. One review of 41 cases from 1933 described it as a mucosa that varies from buff to dark brown or black, and that the shade, the darker shade is usually broken up into small angular sort of polygons by striae of a lighter shade, either dark or brown, and then these pinhead yellow follicles, typically more noticeable in sort of mild cases. And if you look and you can find sort of all sorts of pictures and image reports published, there's a pretty wide range of pigment intensity and the extent throughout the colon that you can find. We'll link to a couple sort of in the show notes. But in some cases, the finding is so dramatic. For example, in one case, it was actually misdiagnosed as diffuse colonic ischemia because of how stark the inside of the colon looked. And across sort of all of these case reports and this wide range that you'll see, this Association with laxative use remains throughout. 
And I find that so fascinating. Why would laxatives change the color of the colon? It just seems like it has nothing to do with what laxatives do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, apparently it does. Apparently (laughs) it does, (laughs) but you wouldn't expect it. (laughs) Yeah. So to start thinking about why this happens, I think the first thing that we have to do is think about something that's very important to the internal medicine resident, which is the bowel regimen. So um, I I don't know how you guys have a diagnostic framework for the bowel regimen, but I think about the mush and the push. You, I've definitely push? heard of that. Yep. Excellent. Okay, great. Um, so mush or substrate is anything that loosens up the stool or smooths the stool out. So those are things like fiber supplements, polyethylene glycol, and then push or motility are things that cause the gut to peristalsis, like senna or bisacodyl. Melanosis coli specifically is associated with one of the most common stimulant laxatives that I know about, which we referenced earlier, are these group of laxatives called the anthronoid group, the most commonly used of which is Senna. Yeah, I think Senna is near and dear to my heart. I'm sure both of your hearts. Uh, I don't think you can get through internal medicine, really any residency without becoming very enamored with Senna. Um, <laughs> but all right, so so why? <laughs> like what's happening with Senna and these other anthronoid uh, stimulant laxatives. Yeah, Senna more. We'll clear it all up right now. So Senna and all of these other anthronoid laxatives like uh, cascara, aloe, rhubarb, they contain anthroquinones, which are these organic compounds that essentially stimulate intestinal peristalsis. uh, And they also modulate aquaporin expression. And by doing so, they cause both a little bit of motility and then also a little bit of softening of the stool. All right, so I'm a little bit confused. You mentioned aquaporin, but I I'm only familiar with aquaporin in the kidney, and I from what I understand, it leads to reabsorption of water in the kidney. I'm pretty sure of that. So here, the laxatives are doing something with aquaporin. I would imagine if you have more water reabsorption in the colon, that would not be helpful. What 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 gives? Yeah, so this is a little bit of a, a divergence from the discussion of melanosis coli, but this is something cool that we that we were talking about, learning about melanosis coli for this episode, which is that it turns out that there are aquaporins in both the gut and in the liver. And in the gut, there's a family of aquaporins. There's at least nine aquaporins. And the expression of some is upregulated and downregulated in different ways by different members of this of these anthronoid laxative group. And the net effect in Senna and most of these anthronoid laxatives is that they decrease aquaporin expression such that actually more water is kept in the stool. So in the Mm, gut, at least some of these aquaporins are causing water to stay in the stool. Okay. That makes makes me a little bit more comfortable. (laughs) Yeah. Or rather, that usually in the gut, these are actually reabsorbing extracellularly all of this water. And so in this case... These laxatives are downregulating the aquaporins and causing right. more water to stay it's in the stool. Kind of trapping water in the stool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's the aquaporin uh, side part, but it turns out that the driving mechanism behind melanosis coli for the anthronoid laxatives really comes from the push part or the peristalsing part. So the way that this happens is that each of the laxatives in this group have different metabolites that lead through a variety of mechanisms to apoptosis uh, in the cells specifically of the colon's lamina propria, or the cell layer of the gut wall that's closest to the lumen. Usually, if you're just occasionally using uh, a senna or another anthronide laxative, for example, for a five-day hospitalization, 
these will be cleared out intermittently. But if, for example, you are on one of these laxative medications for a really long period of time, they can build up over time and promote apoptosis of the cells in the lamina propria. So Senna is a stimulant laxative, and the same metabolites that stimulate gut peristalsis can build up with long-term use and cause apoptosis of those same gut cells that they're acting on. But how does that... I'm still left with the question, (laughs) why is Senna causing hyperpigmentation in the gut to the point that it could be confused with ischemic gut even. Yeah. Yes. This is the great misnomer of the case. So you've got it totally right. The Senna and all of these other anthronoid laxatives have these metabolites that break down in the colon and cause peristalsis and also cause apoptosis. But where does the melanin come in? It turns out that this is not actually a condition of melanin at all. And even in 1933, some of the scientists were already debating the idea that this was melanin. What happens is that as these cells in the lamina propria, this inner layer of the colon, die, or rather they they undergo apoptosis and are eaten by the surrounding macrophages. When these cells die, they create lipofusion, or what's commonly described as the aging or the wear and tear pigment. If enough of them apoptose and are eaten by macrophages, the lipofusion builds up in the lysosomes of the macrophages, and that causes that dark color that we see on colonoscopy, is the lipofusion built up inside of the lysosomes of those macrophages. So once you've got this lipofusin, this pigmentation, is it permanent? I mean, is this like essentially tattooing the gut? Oh, geez. So (laughs) luckily not, um, or I suppose not equivocally so. But in most case reports and studies, it does take quite a while both to develop and then to go away. So it takes at least two to four months to get there. And then once it's there, the timing for how it gets better is at least two years from a macroscopic sort of perspective. So on one study, there was macroscopic resolution after around two years, but then microscopic changes beyond that. So four months or so to get there, but then potentially one or two years to get better. So if it takes a long time to happen and to get better, I don't know, we've alluded to this idea that it's a benign condition, but I also heard words like apoptosis. And so I don't know, you're going to have to convince us, is this actually a benign condition or does this you know, cell turnover and other things actually have an association with an increased risk of colon cancer or other conditions? Yeah, I got to admit, I similarly was like a little skeptical. I was like, this this seems like all of the things that are drivers of malignancy development. But there's some pretty larger, and, and there were originally studies both sort of based on this pathophysiologic plausibility um, and some initial small studies that showed a link between melanosis coli and polyp discovery. So people with melanosis coli were in some early studies more likely to have polyps discovered. But bigger studies have not shown a connection, and we'll link to multiple of them in the show notes. And interestingly, later studies suggested that one of the reasons that more people may have had polyps discovered if they had melanosis coli was because of the color contrast of polyps against a background of pseudomelanosis Mm. or or melanosis coli. Um, because as you'll see from some of the the image reports that are published, they really pop against the background. That's so interesting. The other thought is that there's a covariate 
of constipation um, and that constipation, but people with colon cancers may be more likely to have constipation and have used laxatives as, as opposed to patients without constipation and without laxative use. So I feel like before we close out, I I suspect that you, Hannah, have some cool facts about Senna. I know that Avi must have some cool facts about Senna. I'm not sure. <laughs> like, what do you got? I mean, who doesn't well, have cool facts about yeah, Senna, Yeah, right? Senna's, <laughs> Senna's a great drug. I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like it should be an opt-out order when, like, patients are admitted to the hospital. <laughs> like, yeah, my uh, you pegged my feelings exactly. I was really kind of, kind of jazzed to learn two cool things about Senna. One, it might be the oldest drug we are that has been in continuous use um, for thousands of years. I don't know if it's the oldest or one of the oldest, but the ancient Egyptians had noted that Senecot, the kind of the the same you know the the same kind of base as Senna that we use chemically, is an effective laxative, and so they the ancient Egyptians were using Senna basically thousands of years ago. And the other cool thing is that the plant that Senna comes from is actually a legume, which I was really surprised to learn that it's it's like it's it's a legume. It's kind of cool to imagine the interns in Egypt writing orders for Senna, and you know, thousands of years later, the interns are still doing the same. B I D Senna. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, th- that is like one of the biggest takeaways for me from researching all of this is just how many forms of medicine have used these types of laxatives over millennia and around the world. And I mean, the other cool thing is that like senna, rhubarb, aloe, like these are um, ingredients from kind of a variety of plants that all sort of contain these same anthraquinones. Uh, One of my favorites was Lady Webster's dinner pills which is what Senna, the sort of derivative of Senna was called in the 1930s. <laughs> I just thought it was like a delightfully quaint name for a, a medication that one takes after, I suppose, dinner. And then you do <laughs> after dinner? dinner mint? Is that what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not quite clear to me, but um, the the like official formulary definition of Lady Webster's dinner pills is still published. <laughs> All right, Hannah, why don't you give us some take-home points? Okay. <laughs> So, melanosis coli is hyperpigmentation of the bowel wall, and it's associated with the use of laxatives like senna, aloe, and rhubarb because those laxatives contain anthraquinones. Anthraquinones cause, and their metabolites cause apoptosis of the cells in the lamina propria of the gut wall, and the phagocytosis of those apoptosed cells and the lipofusion in those apoptotic bodies is what causes the color change of melanosis coli. And while these findings can be quite dramatic and very beautifully described across centuries of medical literature, they are not associated with an increased risk of colon cancer. Thank well, God. That's all I, I got I, on melanosis yeah. coli. Yeah. I mean, it's a good thing because I don't know what I would do without Senna. <laughs> Yeah, I was just really kind of worried when it's like, wait, is this dangerous? No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully. Well, Hannah, that was awesome. Thank you so much for, for teaching us about that. And that wraps up another episode of The Curious Clinicians. Thank you, as always, for joining us. As a reminder, you can join our mailing list at curiousclinicians.com to stay up to date on episode releases and have detailed notes delivered directly to your inbox. We are excited to partner with VCU Health to offer CME and MOC credits for physicians and other healthcare professionals just for listening to the episode. 
For more information, visit ce.vcuhealth.org slash curiousclinicians. And as always, the information contained in this episode is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Until next time, we've been the Curious Clinicians.